0: Hey, fried friends! In the craziness of this time we're living in, I have had the wonderful opportunity to meet so many of you on the free calls that I offer. And doing these free calls, there is a pattern that I noticed. Instead of selling you on one on one coaching, I've been sending loads of you over to my Master Your Own Energy online course. Master Your Own Energy is totally easy, totally DIY and it has a massive discount available to you through the end of April 2020. This course is an amazing way to get started on a supported path to ending your burnout cycle without the investment of one-on-one coaching. Master Your Own Energy was designed to help you find all the places where energy is leaking in your life, plug those leaks, and then rebuild your energy internally. It's an eight-week class that normally sells for $397, but you can get it for just $97 with the discount code COVID-19. I'm going to put the link in the show notes, and I'll see you in there. Now, back to this week's episode. Welcome to Fried, the burnout podcast. Fried is the podcast for everyone who has ever felt burnout because of their job, relationship, or life. Kate Donovan, burnout expert, We'll interview a new guest each week who will share their burnout stories with all the gory details. Every episode will give you immediate action steps that you can take right now if you're feeling fried and crispy around the edges. Fried's main goals are to raise burnout awareness, kill the associated shame, and create a movement to end burnout culture. Hello, my fried listeners, my favorite people on the planet. Today, I have a very special guest for you, mostly because we share the same name, and there's not so many of us, so we get really excited about it. Dr. Caitlin Gordon owns Amaluna Wellness, a holistic health clinic based in Boulder, Colorado, where she sees patients for acupuncture and functional medicine in office and via telemedicine nationwide. Caitlin's personal history of repeated burnout led her to specialize in treating emotional health imbalances with an emphasis on the mind-body connection. She uses a unique blend of mindfulness techniques, transformational coaching, and neuroscience to help patients create the conditions in which they can heal. I love that last sentence, create the conditions in which they can heal. There's so much pressure on us to create those conditions for ourselves. But it's so important to have somebody create and hold that space for us. So I am super excited to talk to Caitlin about this today. And just so you guys know, we might get a little bit nerdy today because we are both a little bit nerdy. And we also might be swearing because we both also like to swear. So that's going to be how it goes today. Please welcome Caitlin. Caitlin, thank you so much
1: for being on the show. I'm so honored to be here. I'm so excited to get to chat with you on your
0: podcast today. Yay. So I've been asking people to just jump into their burnout story and sort of go from wherever they feel like is a good place to start. So if you want to just let us know kind of what you went through and then we'll take the conversation from there. Yeah.
1: Okay. My burnout story. I didn't even have a language. I think like a lot of people for what I have been through. I certainly didn't identify with being burnt out and didn't really recognize that burnout was what was happening until later, until more recently. But in retrospect, I think I've gone through many cycles of burnout, and the common thread between all of them being some combination of this internal set point that is hypervigilant, where it always seems like there's something chasing me in some metaphorical sense, whether it's fear of running out of money or fear of, you know, not accomplishing enough and not earning my space in the world or fear of being seen as weak or imperfect or messy. I mean, there's always been something that's driving a, a compulsive need to overdo, overcommit, overschedule um, the things that for me drove me to burn out many, many times. So there's lots, I could tell lots of stories about the ways that that showed up. Um, I think the most recent episode was, was thinking that I could do my full-time practice, seeing a full patient load while doing my doctorate, um, while still traveling and having friendships and a social life and taking care of my dog and remodeling my house. I mean, it was just this like superwoman mentality that didn't serve me and um, found myself in a much milder form of burnout recently where I caught it sooner and I did exactly what I needed to do to recover. Um, So I bounced back really quickly. And that's, I guess, the progress that I'm realizing. That's how I'm kind of tracking improvement is not that I don't kind of fall into the same patterns, but that I catch it sooner and then I know how to take care of myself when it happens.
0: I love that so much and I love that you said that you bounced back quickly because that goes right in right in line with the bounce back ability factor and the thing that I talk about so frequently in the book is that I am not burnout free even though I'm a burnout expert and a burnout coach. I'm not burnout free because I know that those are my tendencies. I'm just not afraid of them anymore because I've learned to catch them and create an environment that I can get better in. So what I Heard that I think is really important is that this happened to you time and time again, sort of throughout your life, and you didn't have the language for it, and you didn't understand necessarily that that's what was happening until recently. Do you think that that's because people are just talking about burnout more now, or do you think that was sort of an inability or a denial of the fact that that could be happening to you, or a combination of those?
1: I think it was a combination. The awareness more recently around burnout in the last couple of years has really helped to give, you know, kind of a con- context for understanding what I was going through and language for it and, and the fact that we now have symptoms and, you know, there's sort of this structure to understand it within and that's helped a ton. And then I also think there was an element of not wanting to look at what was happening because it would mean doing things differently and that was going to be a little scary and uncomfortable.
0: What does doing things differently mean?
1: (laughs) Well, um, I think the biggest thing for me has been learning how to slow it down. And
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I had a lot of resistance to, to doing that because when you slow down, you have to feel your feelings. And there's all kinds of uncomfortable things that come with that when you've gotten really good at not feeling your feelings.
0: Yes, there are. And you do a lot of work, sort of like um, moon circles and, you know, like you work with women a lot. Your specialty is, I'm assuming kind of that your specialty was emotional health imbalances even before you realized that you were burning out because I've been watching you in the online space for, I don't know, two or three years now. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was happening before that. So one of the things that, that got me caught up was my ego saying, no, I teach people how to do this, so this can't be true Great. for me.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there was an element of that. It's like when you're in that healer role, sometimes you don't want to acknowledge the ways in which you're you know, not perfectly healed. And I also believe that we gravitate towards helping others with the things we most need help with. That's why it's intriguing to us. That's how, it's why we resonate with those topics. So I think that it's always interconnected that what we're healing and seeing and holding space for in others is, is a self-healing process as well. And that was certainly true for me.
0: And you said in the beginning that you are always sort of being chased by something or running away from something. And you listed off a couple of different fears. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with those now?
1: It was helpful for me to recognize that part of my sort of baseline level of anxiety was driven by by having a nervous system that got attuned that way by early childhood experiences by my parents. And so seeing myself in that bigger context of, oh, you actually learned to sort of feel perpetually... A little unsafe or a little anxious because of the way we were raised. Made, it helped me understand that the way that that anxiety got funneled into specific fears was not just like strange personality quirks or flaws, but it was actually like a like a wiring of my nervous system. And it just made it feel a little less personal and a little less shameful. And that helped me. Then do more healing work to address those specific fears. So the ways in which those things showed up for me was definitely like an element of perfectionism, of like if I just do it right, if I'm good enough, if I do it well enough, I'll avoid having to feel, you know, bad. Essentially, having to feel pain. If I can like do things perfectly, I won't feel pain. I won't hurt. Um, so it was a, a you know a lot of elaborate ways of trying to avoid having to feel uncomfortable feelings ever, but it was exhausting. Um, yeah. And I see that, I see that in so many people. It's, we exhaust ourselves trying to avoid feeling pain and then it all comes crashing down.
0: And you've said uh, a couple times on social media, you've written about this, um, like striving for bodily perfection and sort of acknowledging a thin privilege. And at the same time saying, this is part of my perfection that I was aiming so hard for all the time and unable to love myself because of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was another way that I was trying to avoid having to feel certain feelings. I thought that if I could keep my body looking a certain way, it kept me from having to feel, you know, in some ways the body image piece, one, it was just a general point of of anxiety, kind of giving fun to control, right? Like feeling like we have control over something is soothing for anxiety. And so, feeling like we have control over how our body looks is one way that that's a really common way to do it. So, some of it was just that, generally speaking, but also feeling like I had this um, ideal body was sort of a way that I felt protected from criticism from other mm. people and that I felt like I got attention or admiration or that I didn't have to feel that I felt seen. Um, so there was all kinds of stuff wrapped up in that for me that was interesting to look at. And that underneath it was this like deep fear of one, not having control and
0: then two becoming invisible by looking average. Mm. Oh my God. My whole body just went like, because that's <laughs> not something that I would have Ever, ever admitted to in my life. But since coming back to the States and getting back into life and then rupturing my Achilles and spending four months in bed, I'm much bigger than I've ever been and still smaller than the average American woman. Right. So I'm not, it's not like I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how. Even currently, even with all the knowledge that I have, and even being very strongly behind the body positive movement, I don't know how to live in this body. And I've always gotten attention for, as a gymnast and an athlete, I always got attention for my body. Mm -hmm. I was never real, like skinny. I was skinny, but not real. Like I was always a strong Right. So even now when you say that, I'm like, oh shit, I'm, I'm doing that to myself, like literally right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so interesting. Cause I posted that about how to me feeling invisible is actually feels really vulnerable. And, and it's like, I don't, I want to be seen and noticed. And there's a part of me that's like, you know, that there's a sense of protection in that, like, like the wanting to feel special and, and noticed. Um, and for some women, it's the other way, right? Like there's a lot of trauma manifests as people who put on weight as a way to feel invisible um, because that feels safer to not be seen. And so it's interesting to me that we can, that I really can go to either extreme, but that the way we use our body says so much about kind of how we orient to being in the world.
0: To taking up our space in the world. To
1: taking up space in the world, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it's challenging. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it really is. And And, in particular. Yeah, no kidding. And you said, you've said the word trauma a few times, and that's something that we've talked about on the podcast quite a bit. But I think that often people think that if they had a fairly decent childhood, that they don't have trauma.
1: Yeah, right. Because trauma is a really charged word, and we think trauma and we think, you know, people who've been in combat Um, or people who work in like emergency rescues or you know like that it has to be really acute and extreme and as you know and as you've probably talked about on the podcast before there's lots of micro traumas that happen throughout life and it can be something as small as having a parent who was depressed and didn't do a good job of emotionally attuning to you because they were checked out and that's traumatic Um, you know as children we have such a need to be seen and recognized and have our feelings mirrored and validated and not and having parents who weren't able to do that effectively is emotional trauma.
0: Yeah, and most of the time these parents either did not have the ability themselves so we can't really be super upset with them for it or they just were not present because they were working three jobs or because they were alcoholics or because whatever else it happens to be. So I feel like people have a hard time admitting to that because, like you say, trauma is such a charged word. So mm-hmm. is there another way that, that we can talk about it, do you think, that would make people be a little bit more accepting and a little bit less judgmental about it?
1: I don't know. I think that's a great question because I I agree. There's There's this sense that if we own that there was some emotional neglect or verbal abuse or some other version of trauma, then there's this sense that we're being ungrateful towards our parents. And most of us are really resistant to anything that's going to feel like a lack of gratitude towards the people who cared and raised us. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. So I don't know that we need different language, but maybe just having space for the fact that in all situations, I think parents truly are doing their best. And sometimes their best leaves a lot of harm on their children. And it's not that we need to blame them, but understanding that the impact is real helps us be responsible for doing the healing work that needs to be done so that we can thrive now. It's not that we need to hold them responsible even, but it gives us a a position of empowerment to recognize that that played a role in how, how we're wired.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, the more research that I did and the more that I read, I feel like most of the, most of the behaviors and patterns that lead to burnout are rooted in trauma. And most of it is either family of origin or cultural expectations Right. We either fit or don't fit. Right.
1: Yeah. And so interesting to consider cultural expectations as a, as that there's kind of a systemic uh, disempowerment and trauma that happens from that. Um, Cause I do tend to think of trauma as being inter mainly interpersonal. Um, you know, even though certainly there's like, you know, trauma from natural disasters or like accidents, but yeah, that, the element of kind of the repeated disempowering messaging that we get culturally
0: um, and the impact that has. They've said now that it's something as early as girls, as early as young, um, as young as three years old are having body image issues.
1: Oh, makes my heart hurt thinking about that. And we're reading something recently in a similar vein about how like seven to nine year olds were like, that was commonly when girls started wanting to be on diets. You're like seven to nine. It's just, yeah,
0: yeah. When your body is just supposed to be,
1: it's just supposed to be growing,
0: growing thing,
1: yeah. right? Just supposed to be a vehicle for exploration and pleasure and joy, which is still what it's supposed to be these days. But we
0: forget that we're not ornamental. I'll talk about that a little bit more.
1: <sighs> that we're not ornamental. Mm. <laughs> Um, that's been a big perspective shift for me in just recognizing all of the ways in which I'd internalized this idea that my value came from the, the, just all the ways in which I'd sort of objectified myself, like internalized being objectified and I had just assumed that so much of my value came from how how pretty it could be, and then how how much I was undervaluing myself and self-sabotaging by taking this perspective that my, my worth is, is me as decoration or, or being ornamental. Like how, how trivial. Um, and just that that perspective was perpetuating low self-esteem because how can you feel good about yourself if that's what you think your value is?
0: Yeah. Cause it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be good enough.
1: Right. And like who values, I mean, it's just so it's so superficial. It's like there's nothing substantive, substantive about that. Um, it's hard to claim claim taking more space in your life when that's all you think that people appreciate
0: you for. And you said that uh, bodies should be used as vehicles for explore, exploring pleasure and joy. Yeah. I mean,
1: to me. The gift of having a physical form is that we have five senses and and this vehicle for for navigating the world, right? So, if it's not for pleasure, what? Why? You know, I can get really spiritual here into the what's the purpose of consciousness having a form? But I don't want to weird people out too much. But yeah, no, I, don't, I don't is- care. Weird them out. <laughs> I mean, I guess like to me, the whole concept of of why consciousness chooses to be in physical form is, is to have experiences. It's like purely for the joy of it, for the joy of being in form of having a body. And for me, it's helpful to remember that when I'm making choices about what I want to put my energy towards or how I want to spend my time or how I want to treat my body.
0: You do a lot of um, on social media. You spend time making an effort, I think, but to remind us to appreciate nature, spend time in nature, get our bodies out moving in natural environments. And how do those does that play into like that pleasure and joy for you?
1: Yeah, well, and that's such a great question because it was such a powerful and still is a powerful part of my burnout recovery process and my burnout prevention process um, and just my general self-care is being out in nature is one of the fastest avenues for me to get back into my body and out of my head and to tune into my senses and to feel pleasure in my body, to feel strong in my body, to appreciate visual beauty and smells and sounds and It just feels like one of the most transcendent meditative things I can easily do on a daily basis other than actually meditating. And it's been so healing for me on many levels. And I think we all have, many of us have access to that that we don't take advantage of. And it doesn't require money or like special products or paying anyone else to get outside.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This, and you said something that I find extremely important. I did a hashtag straight from Kate mini episode about this because I think it's so important. You said it was part of my burnout recovery and part of my burnout prevention, which means that you distinguish those two things from one another. Mm. Can you tell me how?
1: Yeah. Burnout recovery for me was a mark more- was taking the things I do for burnout prevention and doing them in a more concentrated and a higher dose, essentially. Like the therapeutic dose of the types of things that helped me recover from burnout needed to be pretty high initially. And then keeping up with those things on a consistent basis, but maybe with less time devoted to them, was kind of how I prevent burnout.
0: And but, what are the top three things on your list?
1: Hmm, time in nature,
0: mm-hmm. meditation. Hmm
1: and unscheduled time in my week.
0: Mm, talk about that.
1: <laughs> so one of the ways that I've driven myself into burnout multiple times is by taking every hour of free time in my week and putting something in there. So planning my time in a way that doesn't leave any space for feeling into what I might need in a particular moment without anything on the agenda. And the impact of that for me was that I became really disconnected from my intuition because I never took the time to slow down enough to say, okay, I've got all afternoon, what do I need? I never had that moment because everything was planned in advance. And that's a really disconnected way to live your life. And so you don't pick up on the cues that something's not working because you're just doing the next thing on your list. And for me recognizing that meant initially I still had to put something in my calendar that said no plans and I'd block off four hours and I started with a four hour window once a week. And even that felt terrifying at first. I was like, I'm wasting time. Like I have things I need to do. Like I can't leave this unscheduled. Like just that meeting that you have to have, like put that there or whatever. Um, so it was really uncomfortable at first and with practice got easier. And then, yeah, I've slowly kind of chipped away at things in my life that were non-essential to make space for more unstructured time. And that's been incredibly healing and I know that it helps prevent burnout for me.
0: When you say like stripping away the non-essentials, what, what's dropped off the wayside? Well, I've learned how to delegate.
1: That's been really helpful, so there's certain things that I've outsourced that I used to do myself. I hired house cleaners, mm-hmm. um, I hired a personal assistant
0: mm-hmm.
1: I occasionally have other people walk my dog
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I granted, I get that these are things that you know there's a level of privilege in being able to afford to outsource. but I also did these things before I thought I could afford it, and by doing them, I created more financial abundance by freeing up my energy and what else? gosh, there's probably been so many tiny things i My anxiety used to come out as a compulsive need to do strange things like, um, I shouldn't say strange things, but it'd be like, you know, I'd be in my house and I'd be like, Oh God, I really need to like clean the baseboards. And then I'd spend three hours like compulsively cleaning, or I would feel like, um, like there were errands that I had to run that day. Like this inability to sort of be like, that's actually not a priority and I, that can get done later. So a lot of it's also been pacing and being like, not everything is urgent. And I need to actually have the ability to look at my to-do list and pick maybe one or two things that are urgent and trust that everything else can wait.
0: If you find yourself craving your next cup of coffee to get you through your day, your body is telling you something's wrong. Despite what you think, it's not normal to be managing your day from one burnt out moment to the next. Unlike your caffeine fix or other stimulants, Natavim delivers a clinical dose of the key metabolite that enables your brain to improve its own function on an ongoing basis. Imagine that, the pick-me-up that keeps giving. Not only that, but Natavim's main compound, NAD+, has been heavily researched, deemed safe, highly effective, and has caught the attention of many of the most cutting-edge medical clinics for its anti-aging and neuroprotective properties. They've even extended a 20% discount code only for the fried audience, so you can grab yours now at www.nadovim.com with the coupon code BURNOUT. That's www.nadovim.com with the coupon code BURNOUT. Have you ever seen, I can't remember um who made it, the square that's like urgent. Oh, I've heard of this. Non-urgent, um, important, not important. And yes, you're supposed to I read to- about
1: this recently. Oh, who is that? I that's want. So funny. I,
0: for some reason, I'm like the word, the name Eisenhower is coming into my mind, and I don't think that that's it. But I, don't know, I that might be it. It might be, but I will find it for you guys and post it because this is actually really important. There, it's basically just a simple square, and on the top, it's broken into um, four smaller squares. So there's like a cross in the middle. And it says on above the top two, it says urgent and non-urgent. And then on the side, it says important and not important. And your job is to focus on doing the things that fall into the box that say urgent and important and let the other three boxes go unless you have the space and freedom and will to go on. But there's your your focus should always be on getting that X in the box that is important and urgent and just and nothing else. Totally.
1: And with burnout my experience at least is when you're in recovery from burnout you only do that box and oh you my. have to let the other three go like that's part of your recovery process is being like nope the capacity is not there for the rest of this
0: yeah i call that with coaching clients i call that life pruning mm mm-hmm. mm love that yes right. we just cut away mm-hmm. all the shit you don't need yep mm-hmm. i mean people hate it in the first <laughs> 5 minutes right <laughs> Right. Then they love it like an hour later, but in the beginning, like you said, it's,
1: it's really scary. Right. Cause there's this part, I mean, again, it comes back to that nervous system wiring that sort of drives that fear of slowing down and saying no to things. It's like, there's a part of you that actually feels physically threatened by doing it that way, because you've been operating this mode of like, if I don't do these things, something bad will happen. And so you're confronting that.
0: Well, and for me, it, it also hits on something that you wrote in your in your burnout story when, when you filled in for the, um, for the guest spot. You said, my worth was tied to productivity and external success. Yeah. That's part of my burnout story too, and it's part of so many other burnout stories. So then the question becomes, uh, can I stick to this important and urgent box and still value myself? Right,
1: and if I'm taking rest days... And not accomplishing anything, do I still have worth? And can I be with my own anxiety that comes up around that? Because if you can't, you'll go back to doing what you were doing before. And so, so much of that process is creating some capacity for being with your own discomfort and trusting that it's going to get easier with practice. And that some of that belief that your worth is tied to something deeper than what you accomplish or how many boxes you check off your to do list is. Faking it until you make it. I mean, it's genuinely just being like the evidence will come by me practicing this.
0: How did you create space to be with your own discomfort?
1: I have an incredible therapist who Mm -hmm. has been really helpful. I'm a big fan of somatic based talk therapy. So, making an important distinction that somatic based talk therapy is someone who you're not just talking about your challenges you are touching upon a challenge and then immediately looking at where in your body you're feeling sensation. So you're noticing what gets contracted, what gets feels frozen, what feels hot. Like you're, you're connecting your emotional experience to your physical experience repeatedly. And in doing that, in devoting some attention and some breath and some awareness to where physically you're having a reaction in response to whatever emotions coming up you that's how we build capacity for feeling feelings is having a somatic experience that we stay with um, and so yeah, I literally had to learn to do that it was a skill that I learned
0: mm-hmm. and
1: meditation helped reinforce that, but the combination of those two things were most helpful
0: yeah in my life it was quite similar I uh, used yoga nidra during that time mm,
1: Love yoga nidra.
0: Mm-hmm, me too <laughs> and that was that was my way through because it gave me 15 minutes where I was actually in my body I actually recorded a yoga nidra maybe I should send it to everybody or put a, put a link to it I recorded a yoga nidra for participants in a um, listen up your body is speaking course online course that I did I don't know three or four years ago now um, and I recorded them this meditation on purpose, particularly for this reason. Like if you can't afford to go, again, we're back to the point of like privilege being able to go see a somatic-based talk therapist. Like right. this, these are not things not covered by insurance and right. things that not everybody has the ability to do. But you can find, I'll send you the Yoga Nidra first of all. So there's that one. But you can find them for free all over YouTube and Insight Timer and all over the internet. And I specifically made one that was designed to go through the body and go through the muscles and the organs and say, what do you see here? What do you feel here? What does it look like? What can you do mm-hmm. with it? What do you see here? What do you feel like? What does it look like? What will you do with it? And I had, them, I had people practice for six full weeks. I had people write to me almost two, week, two years after the course ended saying that this was the practice that always that like helped them get through that part. Because just like you're saying, unless you learn to actually notice in your body where it's happening and look at it and say, oh, like I can do that, it becomes so much less scary.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think in cre- in connecting our emotional experience to our physical sensations, we start to feel the truth of emotion just being energy. It diminishes the the power in some way or the grip, the hook of it. And, you know, emotions themselves, if we, if we get nerdy about neuroscience and you know this, but maybe your listeners don't an emotion. If we don't feed the story behind it, lasts, you know, less than a minute. So what perpetuates any emotional state is the mental story, the looping that we do. We feed the emotion and The emotion in the body, if we're able to actually feel the somatic, the physical experience of the emotion and hold space for it, it passes really quickly. And emotions are so much less scary if we only have to experience them briefly. I think most of us, what we fear is that we're going to get stuck feeling a certain way forever or for a long period of time that our suffering will be extended. And so when we do that somatic work, it builds this trust that things will move through and out and we won't get stuck.
0: Yeah. This to me is like the um, almost identical to the uh, definition of bounce back ability. Mm -hmm. Your ability to get totally thrown off course by random things in your life, internal or external, feel whatever it is that happened and come back to yourself right you you know that no matter what it is you know it's not going to stay and you know that you have the ability whether that ability means you can do it yourself or whether that ability means you know who to call on to help you right. totally irrelevant right but you have the ability to come back to bounce back yes yes
1: i mean it's such a yes i agree and i'm so i'm so happy that you you're promoting that concept as being the basis for, for good health, really, right? Because what we're going for is stress resiliency. It's not that we can create some kind of life where bad things don't happen. It's <laughs> that we can have some faith that we're going to be
0: okay regardless. Yeah, that's, that, that is exactly it. Somebody asked me recently, but what is bounce-back ability? And I said, for me, it's a four-part thing, right? It's resilience and trust and grit and surrender Mm. it's all those four things together Mm
1: -hmm. because we don't
0: get through this i don't think one of the reasons i think people burn out especially now is because we have a huge amount of spiritual bypassing Mm. right everything can be flipped into a positive and the faster the better and sometimes we don't give ourselves enough time to actually notice if we're having a quote-unquote negative emotional reaction. We just try and find the silver lining. We're like pulling silver linings out of clouds that don't belong to us
1: because mm-hmm.
0: we don't trust our own ability to feel it and handle it.
1: Right. Totally. And and yeah, that concept of spiritual bypassing, you know, or that word can kind of, sometimes that's like a charged word, but like you said, the the compulsiveness around being compulsively optimistic to the point where you don't have any space to feel something uncomfortable is just another fear response. So it might seem positive on the outside, but you're still being driven by fear. And it's, yeah, it's counterproductive. Can you explain that a little bit more for the people in the back? <laughs> um, you know, what we, what people call toxic positivity or that, this sort of denial that there are negative or uncomfortable feelings to be had but there's value in that. I think that's still driven from fear. It's driven from fear that either we don't have the capacity to feel those things or that we'll get dragged down by them or that by being in that vibration we'll be attracting more bad things. You know all of those are fears. And ironically, fear is a very low vibration place to be. <laughs> um so yeah it's I always think it's not to me the goal isn't to be optimistic all the time the goal is to have a little neutrality towards our emotional state and so neutrality would mean that there aren't good or bad emotions and so we don't need to avoid certain ones or put all our energy towards certain ones we just need to allow them in
0: yeah, and what just hit me now is that when uh, people that have a tendency to repeatedly burn out, which most people that have burnt out have a tendency to repeatedly burn to out again. Yeah, <laughs> these things. No, this is not usually a one-off. Like, sorry, everybody. Um, but one of the things that is like sort of just tied into that so strongly is self-worth, which we've talked about a couple of times today. But it's all there's also this sort of thing that just hit me now that if we allow these sort of negative emotions then we're worse people and we already feel bad Mm -hmm. so we do extra work to avoid them i feel like now i need to go rewrite this chapter Mm -hmm. (laughs) we do extra work to avoid them because we're trying so hard to avoid our own lack of self-worth as it is so if you take self-worth and then you add to it like depression anxiety you know, feeling really sad because something terrible happened or because, you know, whatever. I remember having a patient when I was still in Warsaw and she had just miscarried. Mm-hmm. And then she said, uh, well, you know, but I've just got to keep going. And I was like, uh, no, n- no, you have to stop and grieve. And she said, well, I don't know how. And instead of doing acupuncture that day, we did it session on grief. Yeah, I mean, I think it's powerful that she that I don't know how I think a lot of people relate
1: to that. That they might have a sense that there's an emotional process that needs to happen, but they don't actually know how to do it. And that can feel overwhelming. And like you said, if if you're already feeling burnt out and there's this big piece of self worth, feeling like your self worth is low, then you're having a negative emotional experience. And then on top of all of that you feel massive shame for mm. having an emotion of negative, you know, it's that shame piece of like, not only do I not feel good emotionally, but I'm judging myself for it. And it's just, it's such a hard place to be. It's like the judgment on top of the emotion is heavy. And that's what, that's when people get stuck.
0: Yeah. I had a huge amount of judgment to myself for burning out, right? Huge right. amount.
1: Like I should know better. And how did
0: I let this happen? And, and also yeah. you, ha- I have a good life, so I don't have the right to have these feelings, and that was one of the things that came up for her that day. Well, I know that I can get pregnant. I have to stay positive because if I'm not positive, I'm not gonna get pregnant again, which we all know is totally crazy, but that people get stuck in that when they're trying to conceive, right? right. And then on top of all of that, this judgment of like, well, you know, maybe it's because I did something wrong, or maybe it 's because i didn 't believe enough, or maybe it 's because i didn 't try hard enough, and i should I should be grateful because this, this, and that it 's right. really really damaging and actually now that we 're bringing up the word grateful we 're going to get into this for a second because Caitlin and I were both on on a forum, just a Facebook post recently where someone claimed and sort of edited it later, but whatever, sort of claimed that, you know, burning out is because of a lack of gratefulness, a lack of gratitude. And Caitlin said, well, Caitlin, do you have something to comment on here? (laughs) And I went for it and I tried very hard. I made a grand effort to stay in my own body and not come from a place of combativeness or aggressiveness um, because I was angry when I read it the first time. Like, Do not blame people for burning out. These things are happening in our brains. These patterns that we have are happening because, like you said, of this neurological development from when we were children most of the time. I didn't create this by not being grateful enough. I was trying to protect myself. So uh, for anybody out there listening, I've said this a couple of times in the podcast, especially this season, because it keeps coming up, but listen to me really carefully. If you have tried a gratitude practice in the past, and it has been unsuccessful for you, and then you're feeling guilt and shame about the fact that you quote unquote, have a good life, but you don't feel grateful, there is probably some trauma that needs to be undone, unwound. That is not your damn Fault in order to feel gratitude fully, both hemispheres of your brain need to be fully functioning. And when you're burnt out and when you have long term trauma, recognized or unrecognized, your brain doesn't work in a way that accepts gratitude real well. Yeah,
1: and you know, speaking of shame, it's like if we could just take some of the pressure off people that they're supposed to be able to apply these kind of basic self help. Tools and tips, and then just everything reverses. It's often a much longer process that requires a lot of different parts of life to be transformed slowly and
0: repetitively and carefully. And carefully.
1: Right, We're re- it's neural rewiring, it doesn't happen overnight. And yeah, writing down five things every night before bed that you're grateful for isn't enough. It's not, and it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong or they're broken.
0: Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's really, really important. And it's why I really encourage people, not just because I am, am a burnout coach myself, it's why I really encourage people to look for help, whether it be a somatic therapist or a coach or an acupuncturist or a coach and an acupuncturist or a somatic therapist and a regular therapist or a Reiki master and a nutritionist or whoever it happens to be, whatever combo happens to feel good to you, when you're burnt out, you usually got there because you, you DIY a lot of things. And I don't believe in DIYing burnout recovery. You need to give yourself permission to allow yourself to be held by other people. I think it's really important.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, the idea of needing to effort your way out of burnout is such, a, <laughs> such an oxymoron, right? Right, and yet that's still what most of us go to. We're like, okay, I'm just gonna like figure out the right combination of things that I'm gonna do that's gonna fix the situation. I can figure it out, and it's like we think by trying harder that we're <laughs> gonna bounce back, and that's never the answer. Um, and I love that you said that about about getting help because I often I often like to describe what I do with my acupuncture patients as it's not that anything happens during acupuncture that you couldn't potentially do yourself, but I am creating a space where you get to passively receive when you don't, when you need to passively receive. And most yeah. of us need to passively receive and have yes. a container for healing created for us, especially when we're burnt out.
0: Yes. 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 A thousand, a thousand mm-hmm. times. Yes
1: a thousand times yes like there's so much beauty in that and this whole you know there's such a cultural thing of the do it all yourself in the u.s in particular and that there's something weak or like disempowered about receiving help in a passive way and it's just unfortunate because it's actually really beautiful
0: yeah one of the top 10 um american values is individualism Mm -hmm. right i just whatever (laughs) that noise that you just heard in the background it was me slapping my forehead
1: Great. Yeah. It's like, gosh,
0: how could you not burn out if we think we have to do everything ourselves all the time? We don't do anything ourselves ever. Not really. No. We don't even eat by ourselves. You know how many farmers needed to survive just and and work so that you could have a salad? Like just that. We don't do Mm -hmm. anything by ourselves. What, you built your car? (laughs) No, you didn't. Shut up. And even if you did, you built all the parts for it? You had the molds and you poured the metal? No, you didn't. Stop. We don't do anything by ourselves, but we've lost a sense of connectivity that I think is is valuable. And I think at, allowing at least one person to create that space for you where you can mm-hmm. accept some healing measure mm-hmm. is so massively important.
1: Oh, and I just had this hit, as you said, that that when you look at a nervous system that's that's hypervigilant or that's that's kind of limbic system overactive where your threat response is triggered more than it should. And there's sort of this this perpetual sense that um that you're not fully safe. One of the things that's most impactful for calling that down, we already know, is human touch and connection. Mm -hmm. And so if if you know it's really hard to effort your way out of that when you're in it. And I think that's also part of the beauty of letting someone else help you is that that connective piece lets your nervous system calm enough so that you can actually create a little energetic resourcing so that you then can apply the other self-help tools in your life and that
0: they'll actually gain some traction. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Caitlin, this has been really wonderful. And I'm going to ask you, this is so like typical, but I'm going to ask you any anyway. Is there something that you would like to leave people with as we finish our conversation today?
1: I think I would like to leave people with with this idea that if you are feeling burnt out and you're looking for the first next step, that in my experience, the best first next step that I took was looking at what made me feel safe and held in my life
0: and how I could do more of that. I think that is a beautiful thing to look at. Caitlin, thank you so much, so much, so much, so much for being here with us today. I will put all of um, Dutch Caitlin's information in the show notes that you can find her everywhere that she hangs out. I highly suggest spending a lot of time on her Instagram account because it is very, very inspirational and empowering and is a constant reminder to me to slow down and pay attention. And I really appreciate it. So I know that other people will really appreciate it. Um, And please, to all my listeners out there, please, please, please give yourself that space. Start to create that space. And if you do not have a space that feels safe to you, literally choose a blanket. Start with something as small as possible. Whatever it is, if you don't feel safe, go for comfort. Something that's comfortable will lead you to safety. And if you can't create it then, that's when you reach out for someone else to help you create a safe space that you can be in.
1: Yes, thank you so much. It was wonderful to be here with you. And I'm really looking forward to your book coming out. me too yay
0: (laughs) all right everybody any questions please be sure to ask them on the fried instagram page it's at fried the burnout podcast all one big long word and caitlin and i will be sure to keep our eyes peeled for it and answer those things for you until next time